So as I mentioned, today's presenter is Gary Stevens. Um, Gary has over 26 years of maintenance, reliability and construction experience. He's held various roles of increasing responsibility and led maintenance organisations to achieve their goals through the creation and development of key strategies, including condition-based predictive programmes, uh, reliability-centred maintenance and planning and scheduling. And he's also a member of the Society for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals and an AMP certified reliability leader. So Gary, thank you so much for being here. Um, and with that, I will hand over to you to start uh, today's talk. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Um, good, good, I really appreciate the opportunity. So we'll go ahead and get started. Um, the first thing I'd like to start with um, always is safety moment. Um, Often when I go to sites and help people introduce different things, and one of the very first questions I ask is what's the most important asset they have on site? And I often get a lot of different answers. I get anything from a chiller to a boiler to electricity coming into the site. Um, my most important asset to the site is our people. Um, I like to see people and our organization likes to see people come to work and go home the same way they came to work. So um, this one's kind of near and dear to my heart. I see, I see a lot of issues with it. Um, Throughout many many uh, facilities I go to and, and visit for um, different different occasions, um, lockout tagout um, very important, right? The very first when you see the picture, kind of up there on the right hand side with the anchor bolt going through the um, the lockout, right? That, that was actually taken at a site that I, I visited um, some years ago, and uh, obviously it's not the right thing. You should have your own personal lock. You should have warning tags um, and and the date when it when it happened. Um, as well as you know, if it's a, a proppy or a group lock, you may have a lockbox that goes on, on with it. So um, the other thing I want to mention: be sure to test it out, right? Then, especially my time in the Marine Corps and overseas, and uh, even here in the U.S., you, you see where people bypass things and remove fuses and use copper pipe and different things to um, actually bypass that that lockout. So just be sure that you, you know, lock it out, pack it out, and test it out, um, whatever it is, whether it's electricity or whatever energy you're trying to um, eliminate, okay? Next thing here is the work authorization permit. Uh, oftentimes this is used when there's not equipment-specific lockouts available. Um, it walks you through specific paths, right? What, what you need to lock out, the, the control mechanism for each one of them, whether it's um, fluid-based or whether it's electricity. So, just be sure you understand how to do a lockout and actually perform a lockout before you release somebody to do it. So, um, and if you're coming up on a job and you have to, you know, you have to enter the equipment or do something with the equipment, be sure to put, you know, test it out and put your lock on as well. Um, don't always trust everybody else with your life. You know, do your test out process yourself as well. Okay. With that, we'll kind of get we'll get started with the reliability center maintenance. Often you think, you know, what is reliability center maintenance? Um, simply put, it's a systematic process of matching assets to maintenance strategies, okay? Um, the biggest objective of RCM is understanding what your failure modes are, um, know how to fix those failure modes, and, and what type of process you're going to put in place for those failure modes. Um, you, you must always concentrate on the customer right, and, how, and how you're going to make the equipment uh, reliable for the future, okay? So here, you look at it from, from that last slide here, um, RCM is matching assets to strategies. You have many different strategies of maintenance, right? You have run to fail, you have corrective maintenance, you have preventive maintenance. That's the one you're most commonly heard of is 
the preventive and run to fail. Something that's um, not new, but um, getting a lot of strength in the industry is PDM, uh, predictive maintenance, um, you know, vibration maintenance and um, energy maintenance, that type of thing. So that's really new to the industry as well as prescriptive maintenance, okay? These different strategies can be applied to many different pieces of equipment, anywhere from pumps to air handlers to chillers, depending on what the criticality is, okay? If you go over to the yellow box here on the right-hand side, at the top, more remove your operational risk, okay? If you look at pharmaceuticals, if I have a um, activated product ingredient just mixed, and I only have eight hours to get it out the door, and I have a failure, what will I do to my, my, um, my process? How am I gonna make it better? Well, if you reverse that and you put it into a, let's say a paper pole, and I can't get the tree um, processed quick enough to make my paper, what will it do for me, right? What, how, how quick will it shut, the, shut my um, industry down? Um, and you can take that back to, let's say, an exhaust fan. You know, if an exhaust fan for a bathroom goes out, what, what does it do for me? Not a whole lot, right? Maybe have some not having people walking by, but um, it doesn't really shut down my facility. If I go to a production space and I lose an exhaust fan, uh, changing my area from positive to negative pressures, I can really impact a lot of people and potentially lose some product. So, um, just got to be aware of that um, with that one. If you go down the bottom, bottom right-hand side, you look at the pendulum there, you notice it's equal, right? That's, that's always a goal, um, is you want to make sure you, you no side interruptions, you know, the customer's happy, um, they're, they're comfortable, uh, you don't lose any profit, right? The other side of it, if you look at it, is reduced total cost. There's always procurement side. Um, you got to make the equipment reliable, but you also have to be um, within making everybody in procurement happy with the amount of money you're spending for that. If you're spending more money than the equipment's worth, does it, does it make sense to go in and replace the equipment and reduce your amount of um, cash you're doing at the piece of equipment? So that pendulum is very important when you look at it as an overall um, piece of the reliability center maintenance. So here I pulled up a couple of recent ones um, in some different industries. Some of them are very familiar with you to you and some of them are not. Okay. So why RCM? Why would you want to introduce reliability center maintenance? Here on the left-hand side, you'll see a uh, FEA form 483. Um, that's simply a warning or a notice, right? It's not real simple, but it's very important to understand what that does to you if you're FEA or a, a GMP site. Okay. This particular site had 190, if you look at the right up below it had 179 occasions where particles were found in, in the product, okay? 179 different occasions. All right, if you look on, a little bit further down, the FAA notice, noted that uh, on the form 43, identified particles have been adequately investigated to include and identify the particles uh, as part of a complaint. So it's been investigated, but it's still happening. So part of that form 43, they looked they look at it, they said, well, what caused it? If you look at, I got it highlighted, what they, they highlighted, poor maintenance, okay? It's from stopper controls. It's related to the stopper control for that product. To rebuild a stopper, from my experience, is anywhere from five to $8,000. What does that do to you overall? It hurts your reputation, especially if you're a contract manufacturer for pharmaceuticals, okay? Now, if you go over to the one on the far right, this is the most recent one that's been on in the all over the news lately. Um, you look here, it's um, a train derailment, right? 
What's the impact? Extremely high impact, right? It's still affecting people today. Um, got a lot of EPA and FDA people on site because of the amount of spill and the product that was spilled in the, in the location. A lot of residents are upset. Okay. Um, if you look at the information below, it really caught me off guard when I seen the investigation that was done, how much stuff they have in place. And it's, it's prescriptive maintenance, right? It's predictive and prescriptive maintenance they have in place. Um, they have three sensors on that line within 19 miles, okay? That's that's really unheard of in a lot of areas, especially in, in facility maintenance. The first one, if you look at it, the overall failure was a bearing. That bearing cost 1600 bucks if I, if I wanted to buy it. Now, replacing it's going to cost a little bit more, but that it's that bearing to replace one of those bearings costs around 16 to 3800 bucks. So, uh, the first detector recorded a temperature at 38 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. So, with the temperature in Ohio right now, you're looking at probably around um, 75 to 85 degrees, roughly, okay, what that bearing was. The third and final detector. Located 19 within 19 miles. Okay, this train is probably traveling anywhere between 20 and 40 miles an hour. So within 19 miles, it changed from roughly 80, 85 degrees to 253 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. So it was almost roughly 300, 320 degrees when it finally reached that point. Okay, so. Just, just an idea of why do you need reliability center maintenance? These are just some simple cases that strictly maintenance have caused their problems. It, it's really detrimental to one, the reputation and, and how they can grow as a company and be better. So I just want to touch on that. So here I kind of broke it down into four simple stages. I try to keep everything as simple as possible um, for someone to introduce and implement any processes. Um, I think is if you keep it simple, it's really easy for someone to do. If you make it so complicated, people just tend not to do it um, and kind of walk away from it. So very first stage is evaluation. The second one is design and determination stage. Um, the third one that I've seen valuable is quality and value stage. And the last one is implementation validation stage. And we'll walk through each one of those processes next few slides. All right, so the valuation, I want to touch on the very first thing that you need to think about at your site. So my colleague Dave Otten wrote a, um, a paper about the eight golden rules. These are very simple rules, right? And it ties back to your simple maintenance management system, your um, centralized maintenance management system. Some of those rules are as simple as no work is done without a work order, right? Um, all employees must put all hours that they work during the day on a work order, right? Very simple rules, but when you look at the evaluation of your equipment and your assets at a site, if you don't have that information, you can make some really bad decisions because you just you think it's really good equipment and you don't have a lot of problems with it. So be sure that your centralized maintenance management system is up to date. You know, your equipment, all your assets are in your, in your maintenance management system. Make sure that um, the criticality ranking is there um, and all that. So just want to touch on that. So part of the evaluation is something called um, failure mode and effects analysis, okay? The point behind this tool is sim simply an Excel spreadsheet or a, a tool that you can pull up many times you can search online and find these different um, FMEAs online, and those are very valuable that you use to start your process, okay? Um, you want to identify what, you, what are your assets, 
what are your assets in your site? Generally speaking, it's assets that have PMs, okay? Some sites go a little bit deeper. Everything on site is an asset, and it's based off of um, your procurement team, what, they, they, um, what their definition of an asset is, okay? Property owned by the company that has been identified as having value often, often is, the, is the definition that you'll see, okay? What is an asset management system? We just talked about that, right? It's usually a CMS system. I've seen companies that's really small. They only have, you know, three to five employees. They still use an Excel spreadsheet or different types of um, um, centralized maintenance management system at their own site to create the process they need to complete because there's not a lot of assets on the site, okay? Um, to dig into that a little bit on your evaluation side, you look here, there's three different things we that's often on your, um, FMEA, one is the detection, okay? You wanna rent this stuff, all your equipment, all your assets, okay? Whatever your detection method is, is it, you have a, um, a sensor on it, it's gonna tell you when it's getting too hot, like the trains we talked about. Or do you have a uh, quality process that's gonna pick up um, those particles in a vial that you created, okay? Um, for, for the FDA side of it, pharmaceutical, right? What are those risks and how high is it? If you, if you have something that you have a lot of different processes in place, like um, microbial testing for um, or bacteria inspections or any of that stuff in a uh, FDA inspection or FDA process room, um, that helps, right? So your detection method may be really high, but let's say on a 20 mile range outside of that 19 mile range that train is traveling, you have no sensors. Your detection may be very low. Right, so you may need to have a better, um, maybe change your your maintenance process on that on that uh, piece of equipment. Then you look at the probability of failure. Right, you can. There's a lot of different um, organizations that help you with that. Sometimes even you know, like bearing manufacturers or um, ASHRAE or different organizations help you with um, what's your probability of failure. You know, what's what's my potential for a um, bearing to fail within the first year, or first three years, or first five years. Um, and that's where you would implement that, that um, probability of failure number. Is it one in 20? Is it one in 2,000? Um, or whatever your mechanism is that you decide to use, okay? The last one down in the bottom side here is, is the effect. What will it affect? We talked about a minute ago about the, um, the exhaust fans in a bathroom versus the exhaust fan in a production place, right? Some of them are, is it very high? What it will affect? Is it, you know, am I going to lose a, a major you know, two or three million dollar uh, activated product ingredient from a pharmaceutical side, or am I going to lose, you know, am I going to lose a, a tree? You know, a tree has a process period of how how quick you have to process it before it, it starts um, getting fun, fungi or algae on it that causes you other, other problems. So um, make sure you understand those processes and, and give a good um, evaluation of whatever you're doing. Okay, how does it function? What is you know what is how does this piece of equipment function? Pump water? Does it pump only pump water, or does it pump um, a, a solid solution? You know, is it a wastewater pump? Those type of things. Um, so each one of those strategies, you want to make sure you understand each one of those things when you're doing your failure mode analysis of this. Okay. The next stage we'll talk about, and you'll see a lot of different organizations kind of scattered around on my page, is design and determination. This is a really big one. Once you get through your failure mode analysis, all right, you identify all your failure points. The next thing is you need to understand the design. Um, oftentimes, 
you get the sites and you look and you're like, you know, how was this piece of equipment originally designed? What was it? What was the um, purpose of it? Was I only supposed to fly air to one room or three rooms? Was my coils on the unit, um, have, have they been changed? You need to make sure you understand the functionality and, the, and what it's supposed to supply and the criticality of the systems. Um, it must be identified at this point, right? You must understand that it's on. Um, it takes a lot of time digging up blueprints or walking systems down. And I spent many hours on different systems um, trying to figure out, you know, what is it supplying? Where does it go to? How many different rooms it goes to? What, what is my, my potential impact? And, and who will be affected for that? Okay. The next one is regulatory compliance. All right, I'm gonna kind of do, I'm gonna go around each one of these. Look at um, F, FDA um, regulatory compliance, right? You know, they got 21 CFR Part 11, that's your documentation, right? If I change my, my process, I meet, need to make sure I meet all documentation processes for FDA, if it's on a you know, pharmaceutical side or a, a um, food site, or if I'm at a you know, aluminum manufacturing, or a, it could be as simple as a, a high rise, but I have production in one place up in one, one location, or I have um, um, people that are living in the other spaces of it. So you make sure you understand that part of it. After, that's, your, that, that's um, a lot of times dealing with your air handler type equipment. Um, you can look at look it up different um, filter sizes, your MERV ratings. Um, What's your requirement? You know, am I, am I supposed to replace the filters real often, or, or can I space that out based off of uh, filter manufacturer's recommendation? Going down a little bit more, you go to national fire protection, right? Um, that's a key critical one, right? They'll lock your doors if you don't do some certain things, right? If you, um, properly, you're testing on fire fire systems, and those type of things. What about EPA? Um, a lot of people don't realize how much EPA is involved, but you have refrigerant at your site, you must keep a refrigerant log if it's over you know, 50 pounds of refrigerant on a piece of equipment, um, how much it uses. Okay. ANSI standards, those apply to a lot of different um, pieces of equipment. You have your ISO standards, that's kind of where your, your um, reliability center thing has came from, is your ISO standard 5500 that applies to um, reliability center maintenance. Then if you look up there, the CGMP, right? That's just good manufacturing practices. How are you manufacturing that product? And you hear that a lot, especially in the pharmaceutical and food grade areas, okay? So design and determination is extremely important. It takes some time to do it. And you need to make sure you take the time to walk your system to understand them no matter what, before you implement a new um, process at, at the site. Quality and value stage. Okay, it's important to have a high quality program that follows identifiable and repeatable procedures approved by management, the RPM, the RCM process as valued by ensuring the equipment and systems are integrated, are integrated, excuse me, right? I underline identifiable and repeatable process. RCM is not something you do today and you put it up and you never do it again, All right? Some sites that do it every three years, Sometimes you do it every year based off of what the equipment is. Okay. Um, some sites you see it, you do it every five years, but you want to make sure you have identified the process and it must be repeatable, not only by yourself, 
because someone may move up in a company and move to a different um, role or they may move to a different location. Um, you need to have a process you can follow that's repeatable that you can take that process and implement it no matter who, whoever you identify has been trained to know how to do it. Okay. You want to make sure you extend your life with the equipment, right? Um, everybody hears a lot about recession and stuff today. And you know, I think in 2008 was the last one that you heard a lot about it then. You heard in the 80s, I remember that in the 80s. Um, you need to make sure you extend the life of the equipment. It's not getting cheaper, okay? So whatever you put in place, you want to make sure that it extends the life. You want to reduce spontaneous failures. I often refer to anybody that's dealt with me and doing this process as ghosts, right? How do you get rid of the ghost? Thing that you don't see, you've never seen happen before, and you probably never see happen again, but how do you get rid of those? How do you know when they're gonna happen? Um, figure out what those are and, and eliminate them for your organization. Diminishing maintenance costs, okay? I've often heard that the first place it gets cut is maintenance. That's not always true, but it, I have seen it happen at, at sites, right? So how can you reduce maintenance costs by using RCM? Your strategies you put in place can redirect your employees to do different things, even though strictly by reducing the amount of time you use a piece of equipment based off failures, right? Um, so that can help you reduce your costs. I always put, we always call it blue and green dollars. Um, the blue dollars you can redirect to different locations. Green dollars is green dollars. It is what it is, right? No matter what, you want to make sure you achieve regulatory compliance. Um, an example would be, let's say, a HEPA filter in a production, um, a CGM facility, and you change it from six months to a year. Well, you have requirements. You know, it's, it should be every six months as a requirement. Some people do it every three months as, as an extra requirement. Um, and they do microbial testing and different things to make sure they achieve that regulatory compliance um, for those sites. Okay? Provide systems available when needed. That's always a key one. Um, kind of like us when we go over to work in the morning, right? We want to go out, if, if we work at a location, we want to go out, get in our car, put the key in the ignition, and start it, and make it to work with no issues, right? We'll make sure you have the gas and all our old changes have been done. Your sites should operate the same way. When, when your customer or somebody wants that piece of equipment to operate, they should walk up to it with a specific switch or initiating a control mechanism to make it work as it's intended, okay? And when it's needed, no question, right? Um, and that's the purpose. That's that's your ultimate goal of your facility manager, your reliability um, manager, or even a, um, a technician. You wanna make sure you do that equipment and make sure it's readily really available when needed for the, for the client or customer, okay? Implementation and validation. This is often the one that gets left out, um, and it's surprising, right? You spend a lot of work, you do your evaluation, you, or your your failure modes analysis. You spend several. Some, it could be taken, you know, for a small site, it could take a few weeks. For a large site, it could take six to eight months to a year just to do the failure modes analysis. Um, then you go to your your design phase and start understanding your design. That could take up to six months to a year to walk each one of these equipment down and understand them. Right. If you think about that, a lot of times within an organization, people get promoted or, or move on to different stages. And at this point, this is where it gets missed. Right. Someone moves on and they don't know where it was left off at, not the notes were taken. And you get to the implementation and validation part and it and it gets missed. Right. 
um, I've seen both of these missed um, at, at different locations. They've done a great job on the clay nose analysis. They, they walked the systems and got all the blueprints together. They, they identified their, their um, new processes or job plans, what they're going to use, and no one submits them to get them put in a centralized maintenance management system. And so that everybody continues doing the same process for years to come, um, and, and equipment still is not ready when needed. So um, the implementation stage is not disregarded. Right? Make sure you, you follow through the data, you check up on the data, you look in your um, maintenance management systems, and make sure the data got entered properly. Okay? Um, that's what a validation site comes at. Once it's implemented, make sure you go look at it. Make sure the processes are there. Read through the documents. Um, this is a lot of data that's put into the system. If you look at this small building, you know, 500,000 square foot uh, facility, and you let's say you have, you know, 100 pieces of equipment, think about all those failure modes that can happen on each one of those pieces of equipment, whether it's a pump, whether it's an air handler, a tiller, even a, a, um, a steam pipe. Think about all the different failures that can happen from leaks to um, motor spelling to bearing spelling to filtration spelling. Um, all those things can happen. So you need to make sure you understand that. Okay. Next thing is criticality, right? I can, I've been to many sites over the years, 26 plus years, and often I don't find criticality in the system. Right? So you don't know whether the piece of equipment is critical or not. And you have to walk it down and understand. It's a critical how what is the criticality for that? Um extremely high or is it extremely low? Or is it in the middle? Is it moderate? Um make sure that's in your system so you can use that as a uh, determination of, of implementation of the different strategies. Um I, I have up here a single incorrect keystroke might have a negative impact on a co company's bottom line. You know, a, a six to a zero can really hurt you, right? Um, depending on what, what you're um, implementing, if it's a, a strategy or a corrective maintenance or a preventive maintenance plan that you're putting in place and you hit, you want to do it six times a year versus no times a year because you want to do a run to fail, that's a big difference. How much does it cost for a technician to go do a preventive maintenance plan? It could be $100 per time, six times a year, right? That's 600 bucks gone. So. Make sure you understand those keystrokes and, and part of the validation. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention that I mentioned FMEA a lot, failure modes and effects analysis. I've also used root cause analysis. Right? If I have a few, one piece of equipment um, and I go through the five whys, understanding you know, why did this happen, why did this happen, and continue asking why, or this happens, you know, a fault tree analysis, I can use that. If this happens, what are my you know, four or five faults that can happen that cause me? Um, impact of production. Um, I can use those as methods as well. Generally, it's not used on a large scale. It's usually a one-off piece of equipment or a one-off process. Um, let's say for a production suite or a um, a, a process of you know, little manufacturing or paper pulp or a high-rise. It may be a simple um, conference room um, that you're looking at. But make sure you understand what you're you're looking at there for using a fault tree analysis. Um, new job plans. It should reduce or eliminate the FMEA identified failure points, or it should fall under one of the, these asset um, RCM programs. Okay. 
Run to fail, we talked about that. It is exactly what it says, it's run to fail. Right? You run it until it fails, you can put some piece of equipment, let's say it's a pump, you can let it fail and you have the, you know, two hours to replace that pump before it impacts anybody. You can put one in your inventory and you can, if you can replace that pump within two hours without any issues seen, then you can just put one in inventory and use a run to fail strategy, okay? Corrective maintenance is just strictly corrective maintenance. You have no preventive, you have no run to fail. It's whenever you go out and you do something, you see walk by or, or um, do a route, you put a corrective maintenance or a route for a morning process. So I look at chillers or boilers or um, the grounds, uh, safety hazards, you put a corrective maintenance um, work order in the system to fix whatever problem you find. Preventive maintenance is strictly preventive, right? Um, I've seen instances before where preventive maintenance is implemented, and but they don't give any job tasks. So this says PM the air handler or PM the pump. Okay, make sure there's job tasks under those preventive maintenance. Right? You don't want that equipment to fail because if you didn't tell the technician properly how to do the preventive maintenance on the equipment. Okay. Prescriptive or predictive maintenance or condition-based monitoring. You hear a lot of kind of I like to refer to as condition-based monitoring because they're not really predicting a whole lot. Um, if you look at PDM, it's really, you're in failure mode when you get an alarm sent to your phone or um, it pops up on a screen or, or something like that. So um, if you, from vibration, um, I've done a lot of implementation of predictive maintenance within our company um, for uh, organizations, right? You want to monitor this. It's a critical piece of equipment, you know, if it goes down and I only have four hours of that product to get it out the door from time I mix it to time I put it out the door. I want to know well beforehand, before that piece of equipment fails, before someone calls and says, hey, I don't have no um, air moving in my, my area and my temperature is 85 degrees. I'm well above my my um, expectations for the room. So um, predictive maintenance and condition-based monitoring is really good tools. Um, that you can use to implement on those critical areas. Prescriptive maintenance, all right? So try to use machine learning. That's where it actually learns your, your equipment, how many failures you had, um, and adjusts the operating conditions for desired outcomes, okay? It also looks at it intelligently, all right? It's a mathematical equation, basically, um, on how to um, plan your asset maintenance. So there's, you know, you have preventive on it, you may go prescriptive, um, and it's very um, intuitive on, on how you use it. So um, you see that very few organizations use it prescriptive because it's very uh, complex tool. Okay. Generally speaking, it's um, CBM or preventive, corrective, or run to fail that you see in the industry for the most part. Here, I want to make sure I mention the um, asset management system, the ISO standard. Um, some of the international standard link that, that QR code should work for you. Um, if it does not, please let me know. I'd be glad to help you with that. Um, ISO, everything I mentioned is part of the ISO standard. I basically read through it and took the different things out of it. It's going to make sure that it makes it easy for someone to implement in organizations throughout the um, different buildings and different processes. Um, so if you got a lot of time and you want to read the ISO standard, this is what it applies to um, and where you can find out the information I, I talked to you about today. Okay. All right. That's all I have. Do um, you have any questions for me?
Thanks so much for that, Gary. We have had some questions come in. Um, so I'll just remind everyone that today's webinar was recorded, so it will be posted on the Fluke Reliability YouTube channel um, and we will send a link out to you just because a couple of people have been asking in the chat. Um, if you have a question as well that you've not submitted yet, please put it in the chat now um, and I will ask uh, Gary as we go. So first one, Gary, is what industries have you used RCM in in the past? Very good question, Georgia. Thank you. Um, there's been several of them. So I've used it at several uh, pharmaceutical facilities in the past. Um, I've, and I've used it uh, at, at some, some paper pulp facilities and aluminum manufacturing um, throughout the, my, my tenure. Um, recently, I've started using them a whole lot more in high rises. Um, seems like that there's more attention that somebody wants to change the process of their, those facilities. So, um, it's, it's definitely taking traction within the industry. And then the next one we've got is, is it possible to use an FMEA to calculate the total risk value for a system and then back into what is the acceptable risk value for that system in normal? Can you repeat that? Yeah, is it possible to use an FMEA to calculate the total risk value for a system and then back into what is the acceptable risk value for that system. Thank you, Jordan. It, there's, um, there's a few things with that. So an FMEA is generally understanding all your risk for those failure modes, each one of the modes, okay? Not just the overall piece of equipment. Um, you need to make sure you understand each one of those failure modes. Um, I'll give you, for instance, let's say an air handler. An air handler has about um, roughly 80 different components on it. And the, you got to understand what each one of those failure modes are for those components. So it can be done, but it's, it takes a whole lot more time to do it that, that process. Thank you, Gary. Um, the next one is, where would you recommend a company start uh, their RCM process? Thank you, George. That's a very good question. Um, I get that very often, right? But, uh, I'm, I would recommend anybody to start in a very small area or, or one of your smaller crafts, like let's say doors at your, at your site, um, for your fire doors and that. Keep it very simple so you understand the process and really get something in place um, and get some really quick wins for your company um, and let them show the value of the RCM and then move out from there. Um, I don't normally recommend anybody if you've never done a reliability center maintenance process to ever start to do the entire facility at one time. Um, I highly recommend you do specific crafts or specific areas or um, production suites um, to start those processes to make sure you have a really good repeatable process in place. Brilliant. And then someone's asked, um, have you got a real world example of prescriptive maintenance? Real world, real world example? Yes, real world example. Thank you, Julia. Um, there's, there's a few different industries that use it. Um, you see them use BIM models, where you take a BIM model and from the, um, from the, the site when it's built and tie it back into your centralized maintenance management system. Um, and then look at all your failure modes or your work orders um, throughout your system and tie that back in. So there's a few different industries that have used it. 
Um, we can talk more about that if you want to message me privately. Um, I, can, I, can, I can share that with you. Brilliant. Um, and then someone has said, is it worth developing your own RCM plan in addition to a scheduled maintenance plan provided by OEM, especially in the case of gas turbines? Thank you, Georgia. The, the scheduled maintenance is different than RCM, all right? The liability center maintenance is taking your scheduled maintenance that you already have in place, looking at all your work orders, looking at how critical it is, and tying it back into your failure modes and, and eliminating those, those issues. So those two are not the same. Liability center maintenance and um, preventive maintenance or your RDA scheduled maintenance is um, not the same thing. It, liability center maintenance will give you those processes to decide whether you want to use preventive maintenance, um, condition-based monitoring, or run the fail processes. So that's the idea for um, the liability center maintenance. Awesome. And then um, one of our listeners has said, you mentioned about equipment criticality is not available in some plants. How do you explain equipment criticality um, is important to the plant manager before the RCM journey? That's a that's a very simple one, Georgia, and thank you for asking. Um, the one the one thing I would always say is um, if you go out and start your car in the morning and somebody is late, are you going to be upset with as a plant manager, would you be upset that no one can come to work because their equipment is not ready, right? Um, and if you so that that piece of equipment really critical to you, or is it not critical to you? Is that employee critical to you? Yes. If he's not there to to open that production lineup, you can't produce anything. So to explain it to them, I try to always make it in very simple terms, and or something they use every single day. It could be as simple as a coffee maker. Right? Some people can't function without coffee. They got to have their coffee in the morning. So. Um, try to think of a way or, or utilize something that that planet manager or, or organization uses often that's very critical to them um, to understand that you must have a criticality process, right? Then you can also tie it back to the procurement, right? I don't want everybody to go replace all my doors when I need a brand new piece of production equipment um, based off my criticality. I don't have no criticality, so they might buy all new doors and I really need enough production equipment, right? Which one's more important to you at the present time? So. Um, there's definitely some different routines you can use to do that. Brilliant. Um, and how can PDM be practiced in a media organization? Media organization. Yeah. Maybe some help with that one, Georgia. Is it what type of media is it? Um, I will ask them to elaborate. If you could, Sorry. whoever uh, that question was, can you elaborate um, in the chat and we'll come back to that question. Um, I've got a question from Lee saying, have you used the RCM decision diagram in the RCMII Mowbray book? I have not. I have not. Thank you for asking. I have not. Um, can you share your thoughts on criticality? Do you base it mostly on consequence of the equipment not being available and how it impacts the business? Or do you recommend looking at other receptors as well? Thank you, Jordan. There's a few things I look at with criticality, right? Who is it going to impact? What is it going to impact? And how is it going to impact our, our company as a whole? Um, there's been times where I had a Ford range that could be the most critical piece of equipment in the, in the facility because it's pharmaceutical, 
right? And if I have cross-contamination in pharmaceutical, that's extremely detrimental to the site from one product to the next. Um, so that may be the most critical piece of equipment in the room that we have is that floor drain, um, or highly critical in the room. It may be ranking really high. So when you look at criticality, you have to understand each one of the processes um, and what it's going to impact and how it's going to impact your site, um, bottom line, right? It's about reputation. The company doesn't have a good reputation and poor criticality or poor processes in place, it's not good for the overall bottom line. So that's that's how it ranks that. Brilliant. And how long has this process been in practice? Thank you, Georgia. Um, so it actually originated in 1950. It's, well, excuse me, it didn't originate in 1950, but in 1950, the air, aircraft industry started realizing that there's some, um, could be some major impact if it's not, if there's some not a good, reliable process in place. So in 1960, the RCM process kind of came in, in kind of full circle and they started really using it predominantly in the aircraft industry. And that's why you see aircraft today as being as safe as it is because of what, they, what they've implemented um, way back in 1960. So it's not a new process it's, and it really hasn't been changed a whole lot, um, which is surprising, but um, it's been around for a very long time. And another question, we've got loads of questions in the chat, by the way, Gary, um, very popular. Um, is it possible to migrate to new generation of RC or RX without previous recorded data? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I think I did. Yeah, is it possible to migrate to a new generation of RC or RX without previously recorded data? It is. Um, I, I have seen that happen. I've, I've been in, um, been to some sites, Jordan, that, that that I've been to. It went straight to 80% um, predictive maintenance, right? Without any data whatsoever, they immediately wanted to make sure all their equipment is reliable. Put vibration sensors on it. They look for lead potential, meaning um, how can I save energy? They look at their energy potential, um, and. and Starting to check in their energy impact at the site um, using prescriptive maintenance. Um, so it's definitely a potential. A lot of if you go to any um, organization and look at the new product that's being on the market, 90, 80 to 90 percent of the stuff you see today, even when COVID happened, right, they were using predictive type maintenance. Um, they wanted to understand what the air quality was in the space. That's predictive maintenance. You know, let you know before you have a problem that there's a, a, a quality issue. So um, yes, you can do that. And then um, they actually added to that question, um, what are the KPIs of RC and RX? What, what do you sort of distinguish the KPIs? At? There's about 25 to 30 of them. They can go with that. Um, if they'd like to email me, um, I think my email's up here on the screen here that you can see. If you would email me, I'll, I'll be glad to, to share with you the different KPIs. But some of the, the common ones, right, is your run to fail or mean time between failure. Um, um, that's just the one that pops in my head right off the bat um, with that. I have a whole list of ones that um, KPIs. I have over 150 KPIs that apply to maintenance um, in, in different scenarios wow. how you can measure it. So. Yeah, lots to choose from. Um, another question is, is it necessary to redo the FEMA, the piece of asset, for a piece of asset 
if operation parameters change. I think I've read that right. Is it necessary to redo the FEMA for an asset if operation parameters change? Thank you, Georgia. Yes, that's a very good question. I, and I get that often, and I'm going to tell you, yes, it is, because I mentioned in the very beginning of my presentation that every all work should have a work order, okay? Part of the FMEA process is going back and looking to see what you implemented, was it effective, are you getting better reliability out of your piece of equipment, and how is the equipment being used, right? So if, if you don't go back and look at that data that's coming in by the work orders that have been implemented, like, you know, for an air handler or a pump or, or a, uh, hepatotial problems, right? You don't go back and look at that data and all your corrective maintenance has came in because of problems that have stemmed in that area, um, you're going to miss a lot of information, right? To make good, sound decisions on how to improve that equipment. So that's something all we is very strong in and making sure that we understand um, that. And that's the reason I recommend every three years at a, at a maximum to go back and do that FMEA. Nice. And then last um, couple of questions. Is RCM applied on rotating assets or can it be applied to stationary equipment too, like vessels, heat exchangers, etc.? Thank you, Georgia. R RCM is applied to every asset. If you, if you look at the beginning of the slide and identified, depends on what your company considers an asset, but um, let's give you, I'll give you an example of a water for injection tank in a pharmaceutical industry, or it could be um, um, a high temperature tank or a low temperature tank at a facility. Um, if you don't have a good process in place to check your, you know, do your, um, check your probes, your temperature probes, or, you may, or sometimes there's a nitrogen head on top of the, or nitrogen cloud basically over top of the, the water for injection tank or air, it could cause you a lot of problems and, and recalls. So, yes, I think our uh, FMEA should be used 100% on any asset to make sure you understand those failures um, at the site, from piping to the tanks, uh, to air handling. So. And what is the success rate in terms of a sort of percentage of RCM implementations? That's a, that's a really good question, Georgia. And to, to say success rate, it, it depends on the facility um, and the people driving that, the reliability engineer or the maintenance manager. To be in this industry, you really have to have a passion and you have to be hungry, right? Um, and I think that's with any industry you're in. It's constantly changing. Um, if you look at Fluke or if you look at CNW services, you know, 30 years ago, we've all evolved and changed, right? What, what we want today, right? We have vibration sensors now, we have, um, we manage in a much different way and we use lean processes. And so, um, yes, I, th I think you should, definitely. Brilliant. We've had lots and lots of thank yous uh, for answering their questions in the chat too. Um, but thank you so much, Gary, for, for sharing your insight and expertise. I think we'll sort of wrap up there, um, getting some really great compliments um, in the chat, which hopefully you can see after um, we close this out. Do you have any more sort of comments you'd like to make in, in closing, Gary? Thank you, George. I do have one more thing. I just want to mention, you know, start somewhere. Don't, don't keep doing the same thing. You know, Einstein, I think, has mentioned doing the same thing over and over, you know, definition of insanity. Um, and expecting different results. Don't go in every day 
um, to wherever you're at and keep doing the same thing over and over, right? Challenge yourself to be different, challenge yourself to change, and challenge your site to change. Um, even if it's small increments, make sure you try to find a way to make them change. Awesome, that's great advice. Um, thank you so much for everybody who's joined us today. There will be a brief survey uh, that will pop up at the end of this. It's literally six quick questions. Um, if you'd be as kind as to take the time to respond, we really appreciate it. And it helps us to sort of improve these webinars um, as we continue to build them out. If you do have any additional questions, um, you can obviously contact uh, Gary directly as his email's uh, on the screen, um, or you can reach out to us at, at Fluke Reliability and we will make sure we get your questions filtered through to Gary and answered too. Um, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much, Gary. Really, really appreciate you jumping on and, and sharing your insights and answering so many questions for us today. Um, thank you, goodbye, everyone. have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you.